This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. I'm Chad Harrington. You're about to hear from Jeff Allen for some comedy and inspiration from a class act and a true gentleman. It was recorded on December 5th, 2013. Before we get into the podcast episode, though, I want to let you know that this podcast was produced by my company, Harrington Interactive Media. We specialize in content marketing, which means that we help you produce rich media to sell your product or service. And we specialize in producing and marketing podcasts and books. And a lot of Franklin folks just like you enjoy those services. We'd love to connect with you about your company, your organization, or just your project. Send me an email at chad at harringtoninteractive.com. It's in the show notes too. You can just click on that and email me and we'll start a conversation And we can start a conversation about what you need to ensure that we're a good fit for you. Now for Jeff Allen. Enjoy. Uh, We have a a beautiful brother this morning, Jeff Allen. Um, You know, one of the reasons that we we need to laugh is because we need to retain our playfulness, the childlikeness that's essential for the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jeff is is, uh, a longtime friend. I, I guess he's just... A pro funny guy. He's been everywhere. Uh, you can read his bio online. You can read it in the email we sent out. But Jeff, thank you for coming this morning. We welcome you to NCS. All right. How about a nice hand for Wes? Got you worked up in a lather. Nice to warm him up, Wes. Get him going. That was great. What was that? Three minutes? Come on, man. If you're not going to work, why show up? That's what I say. It's nice to be here. Uh, there's an old. Um, uh, by the way, I found out if I use my phone as a clock, I can deduct it on my taxes. So, yeah, that could be uh, why I'm being audited as we speak. So, anyway, um, uh, there's an old Lenny Bruce story about how uh, he was working a small town in Ohio, and uh, the mayor's wife called him at 7 a.m. And uh, she said, oh, did I wake you? He goes, no, I normally get up 12, 13 hours before I go to work. So, it's just nice to be here. It's nice to be awake. I've showered, actually, it was nice. I didn't shave, because that would be a... Uh, a pain. Uh, I haven't started yet, by the way. I figure you get to work, you don't start right away. Why should I? So, uh, just trying to get my head about me. I should tell you, I saw. I used to say I suffered from ADHD, then I realized I don't suffer from it at all. It's the people around me that suffer from it, those closest to me. And I'm a borderline hypochondriac. I guess I, I could be a, a clinical hypochondriac, except for the fact that uh, this is how God looks out for his children. My ADHD is what keeps my hypochondria manageable. On those days, I'm convinced I need an ambulance. By the time I actually get to the phone to call one, I've been distracted four or five times. So I usually wind up in the kitchen holding a telephone and can't remember why. That's when I order the pizza. So my kids love me. Dad's dying again. Really? How about some breadsticks this time? So, And my wife, Tammy, will mock me. She'll, she'll make fun. We'll be watching Discovery Channel on some strange new disease. Four minutes into it, she'll lean over. You got it yet? Thinking about it, what's a nodule? I don't even know what they are. Now that I'm talking about it, I'm feeling nodule I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm feeling it. So uh, anyway, I'm glad. I live in Fairview. I should mention that. Uh, so uh, by the way, uh, Fairview, we got our first traffic light seven, eight years ago. I mentioned that because there were nine accidents the first week the light was installed. <laughs> Apparently, people who grew up in Fairview couldn't figure out why there was a floating red dot in the sky. So... Just kind of driving along. That's new. <laughs> oh, you know. So I'm just glad to not be hit. That's all. I am married. I got a couple of kids. Uh, by the way, uh, 
if you have a teenager at home, applaud. Let me get a feel with the age here. Oh, okay. I ask that question every show. That's all it ever gets, some kind of half-hearted, weak, feeble clap. You know, teenager, hey, thanks for bringing that up. You know, newborns, it's like, pictures come flying everywhere. Teenager, yeah, thanks. I believe teenagers are God's revenge on mankind. I really do. I think one day God looked down over his creation and said, hey, let's see how they like it to create someone of their own image who denies their existence. Yeah. Because I've perused the Bible. It never mentions how old Satan was when he rejected God's authority. If I'm guessing, 16. That would be it for me. So... You can't even argue with a 16-year-old. They have a three-word vocabulary. I don't think they know what the words mean. <laughs> is a word. <laughs> you going to pass your history test? <laughs> is that a yes or a no? <laughs> is a word. <laughs> well, you can't spend the night at your friend's house. You flunked the history test. <laughs> and the word whatever covers everything else. Whatever, whatever, comes at different frequencies, whatever. I don't know what frequency it is, but it's one of them that affects my nerves because when I hear it, I want to boink them right in the eyes. And it's a reflex, whatever, <laughs> stop that. They're going to haul me to jail. So here's a conversation, typical, uh, August, every year up to August, we roll around, uh, we'd go to the mall as a family, buy school clothes. Senior year, my oldest looks at me and says, why do you guys got to go? We go every year. because why? I go, I don't know, what's your mother's thing? He says, I'm old enough to buy my own school clothes. I said, really? Do you have any money? <laughs> Still don't know if that's a yes or a no. I said, all right, I'll talk to your mother. So I go talk to his mom. She says, explain it to him. I said, all right, I'll explain it to him. Sat him down. I said, I want you to understand something. You are not buying these school clothes. I'm buying them. All you're doing is picking them out. Whatever. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> Deal is I want a fashion show. I want to see what I bought. You come home from the mall, I want to see what I bought. So now he comes out of the bedroom First pair of jeans were clown jeans. I've never seen a pair of pants that large in my entire life. 60 yards of denim hanging off his body. First time my wife washed him, she threw her back out, dragging him to the dryer. <laughs> Poor six months walking around like Quasimodo. People at church, what happened? It was a denim injury. Feel, excuse me, it's my turn to ring those church bells now. It's a quasi-joke. So now he's modeling his underwear's up here. Pants are sagging down there somewhere. And kids don't walk. They kind of waddle like the downtrodden that they are. It's like when you're coming out of the bathroom looking for toilet paper. That's the way they all walk. It's just... Boy, is that not a death march? Who didn't change the role this time, man? Come on. What is that, nine seconds out of your miserable lives? Come on. So now he waddles over and he gives me one of these yo, 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 pop, yo, yo. Actually says to me, what do you think? Oh, man, I'm glad you asked. I think we're going back to the mall. Snoop, that's what I think. Why all that leg room, man? Are you ripping off TV sets? You need that kind of leg room? One point he went for a quarter. His whole arm disappeared into the pant leg. What, what's that fuzzy thing? It's your little brother. Get him out of there now. In puberty, I had boys. I didn't have girls. I can tell you this. My oldest son went through puberty at 11 years old. It took him a half an hour. I'm, not, I'm on the road. I call home one day. He's 11. He's on the phone. Hey, Dad, how you doing? What's going on with me? I called home the next night. Same kid picked up the telephone. Hello. 
All right, who are you who put my wife on the phone and get out of my house? I had another son, 6'2", 230 pounds, 13 years old, voice never dropped. Walking around for weeks. Hey, what's going on? I mean, how do you keep a straight face during that phase of development? There were times he'd yell at his brother. We'd have farm animals showing up at our back porch. Stand in the middle of the hall. Get out of my room. They're in my room. They're touching my stuff. Calm down, man. There's two goats on the porch looking for you. That's a riot, Dad. Hey, hey, hey. You put that one in your dumb show. Hey, hey. So I do. That's right. And the talk. Every father in this room that had a son knows what the talk is. So you sit that boy in a chair. He's a boy when you sit him in that chair. He gets out of that chair. He's a man because you tell him the facts of life, the truth. You look him right in the eye and you say, boy, you've got to quit eating all the food in this house. There are five of us here, man. Slow down. I feel like we're in competition for food with you. It's an American home, not the Serengeti. There'll be more food tomorrow. Save some for that little brother of yours. Kid's so skinny he fell down a sewer grate. He did. Thank God he was wearing his bike helmet. He didn't fall all the way through. Those bike helmets save real lives. So glad we got the legislators involved in that one because Lord knows nothing more pressing on the uh, legislative agenda. $17 trillion in debt, but that's all right. Bike helmets. Are you kidding? Any man here over 40 knows if you would have showed up for a bike ride when you were 12 actually wearing a helmet, you'd have needed the helmet to keep your skull from caving in while your friends were pelting you with rocks. Hey, Dorkwad, what's with the plastic hat? <laughs> Cut it out, man. You dented my basket. I'm telling my mom, man. I grew up in America before the lawyers took it over and ruined it. If a kid maimed himself, oh, that was part of childhood. He maimed himself. But if he was stupid in the process, his father punched him for being stupid. Someone told me when I was 12, I don't know who, but somebody, you get a ball jar, you put dry ice in that ball jar, you close it up, it'll blow up. So I said, cool, where do you get dry ice at? He said, the ice cream man got dry ice. So one day, I hear the ice cream man coming by my house, and I run out with my little ball jar. I go, you got any dry ice? He goes, what are you going to do with it? I put it in this jar. Close it up. It's going to blow up. Ice cream man says, cool. Here's your dry ice. That's the America I grew up in. That's right. And I miss her. And that night, my mother was picking shards of glass out of my forehead when my father came in. I said, what happened? I said, someone told me to put ice in a jar. It'll blow up. So you stood by staring at that jar till it blew up in your face? What am I raising, a moron? Apparently. I never did it again. That would have been really moronic, wouldn't it? That's how you learn not to do something. It hurts. God gave us pain for a reason. We're the most pain-adverse society in the history of the world. I'm not, I'm not an advocate of pain, but it's a part of life. My nephew's coming by when the kid's nine years old. I said, my sister, where's he going? My sister said he's going rollerblading. I thought he was going to disarm a nuclear device. He looked like the Michelin man, all foam, rubber, and plastic. She said, I don't want him to get hurt. I said, hurt? He could take a semi at 80 miles an hour. <laughs> Falling on the concrete is supposed to hurt. It's your incentive to stay upright on the rollerblades. <laughs> get your kid ready for therapy. This is 21st century America. We didn't have therapists at our schools when we grew up. We didn't need a therapist. We had the dare system. You go out, you dare some kid to do something stupid, and if he did it, you stayed away from him. 
What more do you need? I don't get it. 30, 40-year-old men calling up their 60, 70-year-old dads in the middle of the night, screaming at them, blaming them for all the grief in their life. It may be true. You may have had a rotten father, but at this point in his life, what do you expect him to do for you? I got my answer ready. I'm waiting for one of my children to call me up 20 years from now, yelling at me at 2 a.m., you ruined my life. All I'm going to say is whatever. Wow, you guys are great. Oh, water, is this for me? Well, it is now. <laughs> Thank you. I drink bottled water. I have no idea where Franklin gets their tap water from. Man. Williamson County. I was showering this morning. I got hit in the head with a carp. So. No clue. Well, it's good to be here. Come on in, man. Isn't that who we were waiting for? I was going to tell him it's his turn to speak. <laughs> Thank God you showed up. It's your turn now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My wife said something about showing up. I go, you're not allowed. It's the He-Man Women's Hater Club, man. I'm spanking the gang. Um, I should, I'm going to tell a little bit how I got here. Uh, Wes was actually my first agent when I got to town here, uh, introduced to us, uh, to me by... Um, Chaz Corzine, and um, I was 40 years old when Christ captured my heart. Uh, I had um, uh, started in, um, at the age of 31. Uh, matter of fact, September uh, 28th, I had my 26th year without a drink or a drug. I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. I remember telling my, uh, my wife why I was so miserable. I realized I'm an entertainer, I'm an alcoholic, and a drug addict. My God, I'm a cliche. And... Uh, <laughs> There's nothing more depressing than that as, a, as an artist. So anyway, um, we, got, we got here, um, I was 31 when I got married, and uh, I was about two years sober when my father came to me and asked me what was the catalyst that got me to stop drinking and stay stopped. Uh, and I told him the truth. Um, I beat my six-month-old son in a crib. And uh, at that point in my life, nothing had sunk me any lower than that as a man. Um, not the drunk tanks, certainly not the bar fights, and uh, certainly not the screaming jags with my wife. Uh, but that one single act when she sat on the end of the bed and fed our son that night uh, uh, through the uh, alcohol and the uh, cocaine, uh, that, that little voice, that, that conscience that we all have got through me, and I realized what I had done was just heinous. And I looked at my wife that night and I told her, if you don't take me to Alcoholics Anonymous, I won't go, and if I don't go, I can't be married anymore. Now imagine the fear that that sent through her. Uh, when I met her, she had a two-year-old boy, uh, and um, now she's got a, a six-month-old, and here's her husband standing in front of her telling her, uh, I don't know if I can be married anymore. Uh, and we weren't even married a year at that point. So she took me to AA, and they told me to pray. I said, to what? Uh, my father was, 14, when I was 14 years old, my father took the time to sit me down and tell me there was no God, and uh, to stay away from Christians, they're bad people. His father was a pastor, his brother was a pastor. And my father wanted nothing to do with the f Christian faith. And uh, he felt that God, people who believed in God were weak and uh, intellectually weak and weak-willed. And uh, so I bought it at 14. And um, now at 31 years old, I'm in these groups, and they tell me to pray. I go, to what? They said, find something in the universe bigger than yourself. It's not about you. And uh, that started me on a journey, and I, I, I can't begin. I don't have time to go into the details. I can tell you this. It started with me with questions. 
that I had no answers to, and I, I tried to find them through self-help. Started with Road Less Traveled. I read all of John Bradshaw's books on family dynamics. I knew there was something inherently wrong with me. The rage that poured out of me after the, uh, I quit drinking, I, 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 I can't explain it to you. It was just rage. There's no other word for it. There were nights, I remember specifically one evening where I stood on the chair in the kitchen, stood on a chair in the kitchen and yelled at my wife till she fell to her knees. And that night I was putting my six-year-old son to bed, and he said to me, Daddy, you win. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you yell, Mommy cries, you win. And if there's any man here that thinks that this is the kind of man I wanted to be, uh, completely mistaken. I, I wanted to be a better man. I didn't know how to be a better man. All I knew was that this bile would pour out of me, uh, and I never knew when it was coming up. There was a discernible click that would go off in the back of my head. And then the, 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 it would have to blow over. It was like a storm that would just blow through the house, slamming cabinets, punching walls. And uh, again, I, so I went to therapy. I wanted to learn why I, why I was the way I was. And I got through John Bradshaw's stuff. And then I went into Melody Beatty stuff, the uh, codependency. And then I started reading uh, New Age spirituality and Buddhism. The whole time I'm in these meetings and they're telling me you need a higher power. And I'd go, what's that? And they'd say, well, it's whatever you want it to be. And I said, look, if I'm making up a deity, that makes me fairly delusional, doesn't it? I mean, either God exists or he doesn't. I don't, I don't need to make something up. And if it works for you, if it's, if it's something that does work for you, God bless you for that. But I, I can't imagine making up a deity, getting on your knees when life happens, like a, a loss of a job or a loss of a child or cancer or something, and now you're on your knees praying for some sort of comfort to come into your life, and your brain chirps, you know, well, you made this up. It doesn't exist. Uh, you know, it's like people who set their alarm clock 10 minutes fast so that they can be in a hurry in the morning, try to fool themselves into, you know, how long does that work before you go, I got 10 more minutes, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to fool myself into believing in God. I just wanted, I wanted an answer to a lot of questions, and I didn't have it. So I started with Buddhism and, and, and New Age spirituality, and uh, uh, I eventually uh, it led to uh, Ayn Rand, uh, materialism and uh, capitalism. I, I, I didn't know where. And I can't tell you the despair that comes with this. And my wife is the one who, who, who f uh, took the brunt of it all. I was in my head all the time. I was mopey. I was sappy. I couldn't stand performing anymore. My, and Tammy would try to shake me into just caring about something. And uh, if you're in a marriage that is full of acrimony, wait till you get to apathy. My gosh, there's no more painful human experience than to be involved with somebody where it just doesn't matter, doesn't care. We were done fighting. We were done arguing. We were cordial people. And we were about eight years into that when uh, uh, Tammy asked me for a divorce. Uh, she said, uh, we were at Toys R Us in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And she said, do you, do you want a divorce? And I said, if that's what you want, babe. This is the most life-altering decision a man or woman will ever make. It will affect your family. I don't care what the culture tells you. You divorce, your kids are going to feel this the rest of their life. I have friends of mine that are 50 years old, uh, plus years old, that are still dealing with their parents' divorce when they were 9 or 10 years old. The anger and stuff that pours out of them because of that particular decision that they made. So uh, here we decide to do it. We want a divorce if that's what you want, babe. It was no different than you want to go to McDonald's for lunch, you want to take out the trash, whatever. It was just, okay, well, if that's what you want. So... Bible says what Satan intends for evil, God will use for good. My biggest character flaw to this day is procrastination. So I've always said if I was one of those type A people, you know, because we had nothing to divide up. We lost everything. I, 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 uh, I threw in uh, credit cards. I tried to, to, to salve uh, uh, the, the pain at home by buying things we couldn't afford. And uh, I remember when they repossessed my car. I was out of town, and my wife called me up on the phone uh, to tell me, you know, 
Um, you weren't even man enough to be home when they did this. Your kids are in the driveway now crying because somebody's taking their daddy's car. And you knew this was coming. You didn't even tell me. And uh, all she wanted was a man in her life, uh, a, a husband. That's what she wanted. And she would sit there and just shake me. Why can't you care about your job? At least care about that. We know you don't like us, but at least care about your job. And I would look at her and go, why? Why does it matter? And she goes, what are you talking about? And I go, I just want to know why. I said, I would go to my kid's room, and I would sit and look at the gerbil, and the gerbil would gather sticks on one side, bring it over to the other side. When that was, pile was done, he'd bring them back over there. Somewhere in the middle of that, he would spin a wheel for entertainment. And I'm thinking, that's my life. If I, if, I, if I make a few bucks, I buy a few things. They wear out. We take them to the landfill. And eventually, maybe I get a deal and a movie deal or a sitcom deal. I make a few more money, and I get really nice stuff. But eventually, it all wears out, and we take it to the landfill. And I'm looking at my wife telling her, if this is my life for the next 20 years, I'm checking out. And she looks at me and says, you've checked out years ago, pal. And I said, don't you ever wonder why you're here, the point to all of this? She goes, no, I don't have time. I'm raising children alone. You signed on for things, and you're not delivering. I can't make the money you make. We're living a lifestyle that we created because of you. If I'd known I had to be the breadwinner, we wouldn't be living here. You don't take the phone calls. You're not even here when they take stuff away. Man up. And I said, why? That's all I want to know. Why? I don't know if anybody here knows what it's like to wake up every day of your life and just, it just descends on you. I used to say it would be so much easier if I was in a prison cell and every day somebody beat me with a stick because then I could explain to people why I was so miserable. The world told me I had a beautiful wife, I had healthy children, I had a job I loved at one point, I was making decent money, I was living in the suburbs. All of that stuff is supposed to add up to happiness, peace, and contentment. And nothing could have been further from the truth. It was this anxiety. I'm not depressed. I don't have bipolar. I don't have chemical things. I just wanted an answer. And I'd look at guys I knew in L.A. I, I, I knew they had, they had sitcom deals that fell through. One of them committed suicide. Is that the answer? The next deal? And my wife would just walk away. She's just shaking her head. She had no clue how to deal with what I was going through. I, I did, and I didn't know how to deal with what she was going through. It was just fear-based. And all this fear would come out. And then I couldn't get angry. I didn't allow myself to get angry because I knew where that would go. Eight years. As God would have it, he uses us. We are his instruments. And he put a man in the path of my life, a businessman worth millions of dollars. And at that time, I'm reading Ayn Rand, and I just wanted to, okay, if it's materialism, if that's it, I'm just going to buy something. I'm going to get my bills taken care of. I'm going to start buying my wife some nice stuff. We're going to get all this stuff, all the stress taken care of. And, uh, okay, if it's money, then I'm going to make all the money I can make. Well, then I realized <laughs> I don't know how to make money. I don't know how to accumulate money. I know how to make it. I just didn't know how to keep it. <laughs> so... Here it is. I hear about this businessman. He's doing comedy for 100 bucks a week on the road. And uh, uh, I had traded my obsession for alcohol and drugs for, uh, for golf. So, uh, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I found out because of his wealth, he had access to some really nice golf courses. And uh, I mean, Augusta National type golf courses. So I find out about him. I call my agent. I said, I want to work with this guy, Phil. He goes, for what? 
And I said, because he can get me on golf courses. He's not that funny. I said, I don't care if he's funny or not. He can get me on Augusta National. He's my new best friend. And uh, God had other plans. It turns out he was a very, uh, very devout believer. I didn't know that. Um, I, I tried to avoid Christians my whole life. And uh, we're on a golf course, as men are, and we start talking. And I said, how do you accumulate wealth? And in a short answer, he says, you can't even begin to enjoy the creation until you have a relationship with the one who created it. And I thought, boy, that sounds kind of new agey. That's kind of neat. Where'd you read it? He goes, well, it's kind of in the Bible. And I went, okay. I've never met anybody who read the Bible. So then uh, a couple holes went by. I said something else. I go, that's great. Where'd you read that? He goes, it's in the Bible. He goes, stop it with the Bible. He goes, what's your problem? I go, well, really? Who reads the Bible? He said, you don't? And, you know, I go, no, I said, uh, a little archaic, you know, I don't believe in God. I mean, God, God's word, that's, that's a little ancient. And he says, well, let's back up. What's in the Bible you don't think is true? I go, I don't know, I never read the Bible. He goes, well, then you're not an atheist, you're a moron, you know. <laughs> and, uh, wow. and any man here who suffers from an anger problem knows what happened. The hair on your neck stands up, stomach gets tight, and you want to punch him. And then I'm thinking, if I hit them, I want to lose some access to some nice golf courses. And so if it's possible for an atheist to have an ethical quandary, I was in one. And uh, So uh, I said, how so? He goes, I'll give you the short answer. To discount and throw away an infinite God in an infinite universe, you yourself have to have infinite knowledge of the entire universe. What you're denying exists as an omniscient being. In order to deny that, you yourself have to be omniscient. It's a self-defeating argument. You cannot defend an absolute negative. And I looked at that man and said, what? <laughs> he said, trust me, Jeff, I say this out of love. You are not smart enough to be an atheist. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I wasn't smart enough to figure out if he was insulting me or not. So, and I said, you don't know either. And he said, I believe we do. He says, I believe I do. And if you open your mind a crack, just a crack, the God of the Bible could flood through that crack and reveal a universe to you that you never knew existed. And he said, I'd like to help you out. Uh, I go to a church in Denton, Texas, uh, Tommy Nelson's church, Denton Bible, and they have a tape ministry. I'd like to sign you up for the tapes. And I said, will it cost me any money? He goes, nope. And I said, then knock yourself out. And he said, I'm sure you don't have a Bible. And I go, uh, no, I don't. And he says, I'll send you a Bible if that's all right. And I said, you can send me whatever you want as long as it doesn't cost me any money. Bible came uh, literally less than a week after I got home, and I threw that in a junk drawer. And then the tape started coming uh, pretty soon after that. I never opened one up. And uh, for a year and a half, Tammy and I were getting this divorce. And uh, we developed a friendship, uh, me and this man. Um, and uh, never once said to me, I sent you Bible tapes. Did you open them up? Never once said to me, I sent you Bible. Have you read the Bible? Uh, we talked about what things guys talk about, golf. We talked about uh, politics. We talked about other things. And um, every conversation ended the same way. How are you and Tammy doing? Not too good, Phil. And he'd go, uh, you know, we pray for you guys every night. It meant nothing to me. It didn't matter to him. He just said, we want to see your marriage work. And I go, I don't, I don't know why, but that's great, Phil. I appreciate that. And uh, eventually the time came where Tammy and I filled out those papers. We had them notarized by a paralegal, and we were driving to the courthouse. And uh, 10 minutes from the courthouse, my wife had a change of heart. 10 minutes. I drive 10 more minutes. I lose 17 years with a woman that I never knew I could love the way I I. I, I, I I can't imagine the last 17 years without her. Um, my son went to Iraq when he came off that plane, uh, wrapped his meat hooks around me, and he says, thanks for staying. Um, and um, I can't begin to tell you. Uh, Ten more minutes. If God, you don't think God will bring you to the edge in your life, guess again. That's as far as I, as close as I want to get. 
came home, we tried to make it work, and it wasn't working too well. I was still in my head, still moping around. She finally says to me in June, that was in the fall sometimes, she says, I'm taking the kids to Ohio, and while I'm gone, you get your life together. If you don't want to do comedy, you don't do comedy. But if you got to do something, Jeff, we need some money. you got to do something. And uh, she gathered up all these Bible tapes, about a year and a half's worth, and she threw them on the floor. She said, you either listen to these things or I'm throwing them out. And that little voice, we all have the little voice inside, I said, well, I'll, uh, just leave them there. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to them while you're gone. And she was leaving for the summer. Well, one day comes by, I'm walking by, and uh, I, I can go into the, the struggle. There was a struggle to get into those tapes. And, um, you know, I never had a problem opening up a tape, ever. Bruce Springsteen, walk right in the store, buy a thing, pop it right in. And uh, now all of a sudden I'm having this internal struggle going on. And, and when I read about demonic realms and angelic realms, I went back to this moment. And this is when the Bible comes alive for me. For some other reason, I can lay my life over God's word. And um, anyway, the day came where I finally opened one up. It was Ecclesiastes. I couldn't pronounce Ecclesiastes. I don't even know what this is. So I get that Bible out of the junk drawer. We all know if you have a junk drawer, once you put something in that drawer, nothing, it never leaves. It's always there until you get a shed, which is a suburban version of a junk drawer. So anyway, I open it up, I pop it in, and from that moment on, I don't know why, this is when God chose, this is when God chose to reveal himself. All those years I thought I wanted an explanation of who God was. What I needed was a revelation from him, and this was the moment. And years later, when I shared this at a church for the first time, Christians came over to me and said, God used Ecclesiastes? I go, what are you talking about? Well, it's a fairly cynical book. I go, well, you didn't know me like he knew me, trust me. That moment, and this is what I got out of the first sermon. Life without God will have no meaning. Without meaning to your life, there's no purpose to your life. Without purpose to your life, suicide. And I went, wow, that's in the Bible? I ripped open every envelope looking for more Ecclesi-Closi tapes. And there was another one. The sermon was basically Solomon's conclusion was if happiness was an act of human will, we'd all be happy. And this is the problem with our culture today. This is the problem I see in young people. They all want to be happy, but you ask them to define it, and it's always the next iPod. It's always the next material thing, whether it's a car, a relationship, a house. A thing, and it just go, it's ad infinitum. It, it just goes on and on and on. The truth is something outside of us has to come inside of us, work its way out through our hearts into the form of service. In other words, if you want to enjoy the creation, you have to have a relationship with the one who created it. And you open your mind to crack, it'll flood through the crack into your heart and reveal the universe. And it's all about service. It's all about service. You want to be loved, you have to be loving. You have to serve your wife. You have to, for whatever reason. And when I remember uh, and listening to this, and it was the most exhilarating thing I've ever heard. At one point, I wanted to run on the lawn, hold up my Bible, and go, anybody read this? What a book! Wow! I was doing Bible studies in my car, staring with my leg, making notes in my Bible. I almost met Jesus before I met Jesus. I was just... People were waving at me one finger at a time as they drove by. You know, it's just, you know. Anyway, I, I gave my life to Christ on August 17th, 1997. And uh, I remember that date because when they said, thank you. I remember they said, you have to be born again. And I said, okay, I, I can do that. I was like a little child. I went to my buddy and uh, he said to me, when I met you, God put it on my heart, you were looking for something, have you found it? And all I could think to say was, after three months of studying the Bible, a year and a half's worth of Bible sermons, uh, most of them I listened to two or three different times, um, that if Jesus Christ is not who he claimed to be, then uh, Solomon was right in Ecclesiastes' suicide. I had no other place I was going to look. And um, I got on my knees and I said to, to him, I said, if this is yours, Whatever this is, this is yours, my whole life. 
I had enough proof and enough evidence of what I could do with it, and I destroyed it all. I was a lousy husband. I was a lousy father. I was a lousy provider. I couldn't find one aspect of my life that I didn't want him to take over. And um, uh, when I shared, when I told my wife, I said, I'm a born-again Christian. She goes, what does that mean? I go, I don't know. I read it in a book. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm to love you as, as, as Jesus loved the church. And she says, what does that mean? I said, I'm to, I'm to serve you. And she laughed because she knew how selfish and self-centered I was. And um, we have built our life on the, um, for the last 17 years on, uh, on a biblical foundation and a biblical worldview. And um, we're still together, and it's not perfect by any means. Um, she started menopause. Uh, there are nights, not every night, but I lie in bed some nights and dream about the good old days of PMS. There are weeks I just can't get the home cold enough for her. There's just not enough freon in the world for the woman. If there is a hole in the ozone, it's over the roof of my home in Fairview, Tennessee. 48 degrees in my bedroom. I got meat hanging off my curtain rods, for God's sakes. She walks in and turns on some 64-bladed fan she installed. I had to bolt the furniture to for to keep them getting sucked through the roof. She stands in the middle. Why is it so hot in here, Jeff? Why is it so I can't see her from the fog coming out of her mouth. And then she wakes me up to feel her night sweats. Is that even necessary? I'm sound asleep. She zips my parka open while I'm sleeping there. Just, Jeffrey, wake up, feel this. It's disgusting. Look at me. I'm just sitting here. There's like a furnace in me or something. You're lucky you don't have to go through this. You know I wouldn't if you quit waking me up. Could sleep right through your sweating. I could. I told the kids, watch out, mom's got some serious stuff going on. Like what? Remember those nights you didn't do your homework? She'd get mad and really yell at you loud. He goes, yeah, I remember that. Well, it'll be a little different now. She might start crying and then stab you. So. <laughs> well, I can't tell you what an honor it is to, to, to speak here. I, uh, I am, um, I'm never far from uh, where, I, where I was. Uh, uh, there was a time in my life where you let me step foot in this place. And uh, all I say is this, if you're here today and you have a lot of questions and no answers, uh, the only place uh, in our culture you can go to get those answers is in a house of worship. Uh, you can't do it at work. If you get caught asking these questions at work, you could lose your job, And um, especially if somebody actually starts answering them honestly. And if you're at a church today and you have questions and they tell you, uh, just believe, just believe. Check your brain at the door and believe. Uh, find another church because everything that you have to ask is is answerable everything and um, there's resources uh, my, my favorites are uh, rzim.org Ravi Zacharias uh, veritas.org is a wonderful website that uh, that uh, has a, a bunch of um, uh, intellectuals uh, way beyond my capacity to understand but I enjoy watching smart people debate heady issues so those are just a couple of them and um, I can't thank you enough Wes thank you very much God bless you